When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anti Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Anti Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award winning poker cast. Join us on our action packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Anti Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 27, 2019. You're listening to the greatest poker cast that was ever recorded. I'm Chris Casenza with a lot of jubilance and very happiness in my voice this week so that you don't yell at me. And um, Scott Long, wow, that was <laughs> that's the most unjubilant jubilant you've been ever. Last week you're like, "What happened to Chris from the week before?" It was all happy and everything. So I'm trying to keep it on the up today. Uh, you know, do whatever I can. But you know, I don't know if I need to hold the show up because you must be exhausted. Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, talk about ju- being jubilant and not wanting to be jubilant ever again. Wow, what a day yesterday was. I, I had to get up at uh, – I didn't have to. I never had to do anything, right? But right, I put right. myself through this stuff. Um, you know, I'm out here for the uh, Annie Up Sweetwater Series, uh, Annie Up Poker Tour event at Himalaya Casino. And uh, yesterday was an off day. Um, it was all satellites, three three satellites. Um, so not an off day, but, you know, I don't need to be there for anything, right? So – Wanted to explore a little bit, and I was going to go up to L.A. because it's the 25th anniversary of one of our favorite shows, Friends, right? Yeah. And uh, so they have the Central Perk um, set rebuilt and reconstructed on the Warner Brothers lot. And I was going to do the Warner Brothers tour, which I've done before, but they didn't have the Friends set up at that point, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and super bummed because in uh, November they're doing uh, Friends Giving. <laughs> where you can actually have a whole uh, meal, including the moist maker sandwich, <laughs> um, and uh, and tour the fountain, which you can't see on the tour. You know where they did the little opening thing with yeah. the um, yeah. and um, and then a bunch of other stuff. But I couldn't do that, so I'm like, oh well, at least I'm going to do the tour again, and then I'll get to sit on the uh, the couch, right, and get my selfie. But so then I was like, you know, but you know me, I go crazy. I'm looking for like, what else can I? I'm going to drive three hours to LA. What else am I going to do? So I started looking for show tickets. Put in for a bunch of them, and then let's make a deal. Showed up, Chris. That's that's like made for you. That, that that's that, those are your people, right? I saw that, and I'm like, wow. And they've got three tapings on Thursday, and I'm like, make that happen. And um, I like uh, all the other tickets, which I didn't get. Um, that one I got right away, and it was a guaranteed ticket to get in as long as I got there on time and followed all the rules. Uh, I was going to get to be in the studio audience, and I'm like, this is right. Like you said, that's made for me, right? Yeah. That's all I do is surround and wear costumes everywhere I go and have lots of energy. So 
Um, so I actually spent Wednesday looking for a costume. I, I normally travel with one for these kinds of emergencies, but I forgot. So. <laughs> uh, uh, got, my, got myself a Florida dolphin because, you know, I read the producers are looking for stories. And I thought, you know, hey, I'm all the way from Florida out here on business and I'm a dolphin. And and uh, my little uh, producer actually thought that was kind of funny, but not funny enough to get me on the show. though. Oh, uh, but I did get to sit through three episodes. It's supposed to be one, and then I got there so early that they let me go in the first one, and then the one I was supposed to be there for, and then they didn't have enough people for the third one, so I got to go back in. So I, I watched three episodes of Let's Make a Deal yesterday. Did not get picked. I was contestant adjacent on every show, though. Holy cow. Woman next to me, the first episode, the guy two from me on the third episode, and the woman I walked into the studio with on episode two all got picked. Uh, <laughs> But not me, not me. So, and I thought, I'm like, you know, normally, you know, when people ask you what you do for a living, right? I'm like, because in the outside world, I'm like, because I never know about the uh, apprehension about poker. We talked about this on the show before, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I own my own media company, and they're like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. And then they keep pressing, then eventually it gets to the poker part where they go, oh, right. But I'm like, hey, I need a story. So when they asked me what I did, I'm like, I very proudly, Chris told the producer, I'm a poker magazine publisher yesterday. Yes. And he's like, you're a poker magazine publisher? And I'm like, yes, I am. He's like, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, yes, it is. And then not cool enough to make the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's all right. It's all right. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to be allowed to mention Annie up anyhow. They, they made a big deal before the, uh, the episode. And, and I heard the spiel three times because I saw three episodes, right? Right. That, uh, that you can't be an American Airlines pilot. You can be a pilot for, for an airline. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. No free advertising. No, no. Um, and, and, you know, and I know you were look, hoping that I was going to win something so you get half of it. So yeah. um, the good news is, Chris, is I did buy a souvenir photo for $21.38. <laughs> so um, you do owe me ten sixty nine. So. <laughs> Put it on the tab, buddy. But, but, but I'll make a copy of it for you. So <laughs> I will hang it proudly in my bedroom. Uh, but anyhow, uh, we're going to get on to the sweet water here in a minute. But uh, because, uh, you know, traffic out here is outrageous, um, yeah. I literally set my alarm for um, 4.30 yesterday morning. I actually got up early because, you, know, you know, I can never sleep on any alarm. There's four days a year that I need an alarm, right? So got up. I was on the road, like, by 4.30, and I got home at 11.45 p.m. last night. So Oh, man. <laughs> Pretty long, exhausting day, and uh, now I'm up out of dedication to our fans to record the show. At 4 a.m. my time, it seems like. <laughs> at 7. Don't, don't <laughs> make it, it. We we already respect you for getting up at 7. You don't have to make it worse. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's talk about the Sweetwater Series because it's been fantastic out here. Uh, once again, it's out here at the beautiful Hamul Casino near San Diego. Or actually, we said in San Diego, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and um, the main event is 550 with a $100,000 guarantee. Has flights at 4 p.m. today, Friday. I hope the show will be posted by then. I think it will be. Um, and then noon tomorrow on Saturday. Winner, as always, gets on the cover of Annie Up and a seat in the 2020 Annie Up World Championship. I like we're saying 2020 now, right? Yeah. Um, and there's also two more events on Sunday if you don't want to play the main or you get knocked out of the main. And if you need uh, need a little help getting in that main event, there's still three more main event satellites before um, day two starts. So, or, I'm sorry, before day one B starts. So, get out here and get some of that um, that easy money. If anyone uh, in the Annie Up Nation wants to uh, get us a sponsor of a non-carbonated drink for Scott to uh, down <laughs> during the show, I'm all for it. 
If you just want so to stop hearing those burps, let me know. Bridge, so I, I got to finish that all off because I can't take that stuff home with me. So <laughs> yeah, so you're doing it during the show, yeah, and then you're exactly. full of gas. This is terrific. <laughs> I'm not editing it out, so they all they can all listen to your burps and complain to you, not me. <laughs> all right, the series kicked off with a forty thousand guarantee multi day event that easily met the guarantee. Uh, weekday events are always notoriously difficult for casinos, uh, but Monday nights eight max nearly doubled expectations with 101 entries. Uh, as did Tuesday's Omaha 8 event, and uh, Wednesday's uh, Deep Stack was doing really well, but I, I, I left way early, which you'll hear about in a minute, so I don't remember uh, how many people actually um, finished that out. But it, it's been very, very impressive to see people show up in the midweek. Uh, like I said, those are always um, the tough events for uh, casinos in these series. Um, but um, you know, I was talking to the poker manager like Monday and then Tuesday, and he's like, what's going on here? And I'm like, I know it's great, right? So... Uh, particularly because this is the first tournament series ever at Hemel, so um, very, very nervous here, putting kicking it off, and very happy to see the turnout from everyone, so that's great. That's cool. Um, and uh, I had a, a feeling that the promotions were going to be phenomenal when I got out here. I think I talked about this on the show before, but um, I've been out here once for a, sh- a long weekend uh, in February when they opened for the grand opening, right? Right. Uh, signed up for player card there because they had some kind of, um, I talked about on the show, some kind of like, you know, you get rebate $200 or your blackjack losses or something, whatever it was. It was phenomenal. And, of course, then I lost it all back. So they know me better than I know me. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've gotten mailers from them like literally every week since then, Chris. I live in Florida. Yeah. Uh, so they, they have been very, very aggressive in trying to um, uh, get the San Diego market down here. Uh, and the poker room is no different. Um, so almost every hour they draw a name from a player in a live game. Depending on the day, they have different activities. Uh, one night they uh, give away, uh, maybe one or two nights a week, they give away 65-inch TV or $500 cash like every four hours, um, which is phenomenal. And I'm like, I was looking at the big TV that they had in the box and everything, and I'm like, John, the poker man, I'm John, I'm not going to be able to put that in the overhead bid on the way home. <laughs> He's like, hey, don't worry. It's, it's Amazon. We ship it Amazon. I'm like, oh, awesome. So Nice. If I next week I'm bragging about a new 65-inch TV, which my wife and I desperately need, um, you'll know why. <laughs> um, and then Tuesday when I was there for the Omaha event, uh, they do this thing. They have this big wheel, just like on a game show. Um, you know, probably a game show where I'd get picked. I'm like, let's make a deal. <laughs> Um, and every um, uh, so every hour they pick a player in a live game uh, to spin it, and you can win anywhere from twenty five. And they have one spot on there for a thousand bucks, Chris. And I'm not lying when I say this Tuesday night uh, with two cash game tables going because the rest was tournaments, which means you have a one in uh, twenty, uh, one in eighteen, something like that. Little less, like one in eighteen chance. Yeah. Actually, less because they might not have all been full chance of getting picked. Three players, not one, not two, but three players hit that one $1,000 thing on that big ass wheel. No way. It was incredible to watch. It absolutely was. Um, so that's a lot of free money given away. Um, and then uh, then they do a quarterly thing where they give away either a motorcycle or jet skis. I think they're going to do something different for the next quarter as well, too. But it's a pretty pretty badass motorcycle this time. Um, even even better than the Honda Rebel they gave away on all three episodes of Let's Make a Deal. <laughs> I mean, Wayne Brady was doing the clues on the third episode, and he's like, uh, it, uh, and it has wheels, and it's a rebel. And I'm like, yeah, there's the Honda Rebel motorcycle. And the guy <laughs> did got it, and he got all excited. And I'm like, yep. And he sat back down. Next, there's the guy next to me. He sat down. I'm like, I know that's the Honda Rebel. I've been here all day. I know <laughs> Um, and, uh, and then just for the mailers, you know, again, I told you I live in Florida. I still get those mailers. Um, uh, today, 
I'm going to walk in and I'm going to get a um, free $20 Target gift card just for showing up um, with my mailer. And then uh, tomorrow it's a scratch off where I'm guaranteed 10 bucks but could win with much more. And I haven't done anything. So, so you can keep you, you can keep all that money, and we'll call it even with the photo from Let's Make yeah. a Deal. All right. See, see that I, I sharked you there. I, I got you. <laughs> got you thinking. Oh my god, I don't, I don't want to pay the ten sixty nine. So then you right away the rights to it all, and then then I yep. I hit five thousand yep. dollars on my scratch off. Yep. So. There you go. It's all yours, buddy. Uh, but anyhow, really, uh, really, really intense and strong promotions casino wide here, including the poker room. So. If you live anywhere near San Diego, this is definitely the place you want to be playing. So, um, all right. So I played the three events since I got here, um, and I don't think I'll play anymore because Sunday, uh, obviously, I'm working that day. So, uh, yeah. But uh, uh, I played the Amex the first night. I was so excited. Got here. I uh, got great cards. Oh man, I was getting Ace Queen, Ace King pairs, and then just wasn't hitting on anything. And then, of course, um, making I made some really, really, really horrible decisions. The rust was still on after the Atlantis event, Chris. So, oh. um, and then, uh, but I did the one best decision I did make is once I got knocked out, knocked out, I still had time to re-enter. Um, the stack size would have been phenomenal at that time still. But you know, I'm like, you know what? Uh, I've made so many bad decisions <laughs> with this first deck. I apparently am just not in the frame of mind to play poker, and therefore I'm not going to peel off another hundred dollars um, just for sport because yeah. I'm out here. Yep, smart. Turned around and got in the car and came back to my Airbnb and uh, so um, so that was the only one decision uh, I made two good decisions I entered the tournament which was great and then I didn't re-enter the tournament <laughs> that's bad but. Uh, Omaha eight which you know was my event uh, oh man that was such a heartbreaker I finished twelfth uh, top eight uh, paid I think they did a, a deal with uh, the top four is what I what I hear from one of the guys I was playing with um, got it all in pre-flop and flopped a flush. With a guaranteed low draw, I think it was like I don't remember, but I think I had had three five. Um, uh, I don't know, three five four in my hand, um, and uh, the ace was on the board, and yeah, the ace was definitely on the board um, with another low. So really, any other low card comes, I'm guaranteed the low right. Um, I already had the flop flush. The the guy that I was all in with didn't have any clubs, so uh, I was thought it was golden. And then the last river card, I'm like, oh man, he just went runner runner full house with you. Wow! I'm like, what? Wow! And, what? and out the door. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> oh, I know it was. It really was. I, I don't think I've got knocked out like that in a long time. And uh, but you know, <clears throat> those are the hands you like to get knocked out, right? Because um, unlike the ones where you you, you get it all in with you're forced to get in with like seven four because you're so low and just get crushed yeah uh at least i thought like i i went out <laughs> with a good hand and uh had to get really lucky to get me but um but very happy it was a podcast listener uh tavish managers who, who knocked me out that day i played with him all um all week uh he went on to win uh i'm sorry i went on the chop the omaha event he's the one that told me they chopped it four ways um and then turned around the next day and won the next event um, so he's having a good series. Cool. And that was their No Limit Hold'em uh, deep stack. And uh, got bounced in level two. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, but I got tens. And I know they're just tens, but uh, I, was, I got them all in on the river with it all under cardboard. How often does that happen, right? <laughs> and I only had the player turn over a flop set. Um, and uh, at that point, I knew I was going to have to get up at 3 a.m. to go to um, uh, Let's Make a Deal. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to save 160 bucks. And go say hi to our ambassador Kitty Aylman, who just showed up in Reg Lee. <laughs> All the traffic down here, and I'm like, "Hey, you're here. I'm out. See you." 
and uh, and uh, went home, um, but not before registering a complaint to the Pokemon manager that the deep stack was not deep enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe all these people are going down level two. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. A lot of us are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> More bad decisions for Scott. <laughs> and not just the outfit that he wore to let's make a deal. Uh, well, it's Florida Dolphin. It's perfect. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but yeah, all the details on this event. If you're anywhere in the uh, Southern California area and want to get down here for the main event or any of the other events this weekend, you can find them at antietmagazine.com slash Hamul. And again, Hamul is spelled J-A-M-U-L. Awesome. All right. We knew this was coming. Well, we thought it was coming. It's been years in coming. How's that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Caesars Entertainment has sold the Rio Hotel and Casino to a property developer for $516.3 million. I'm sure they haggled over the last point three, right? Yeah, right. Um, but the, don't worry, the World Series of Poker will remain there for now as Caesars will rent the hotel back for the next two years for $45 million per year and an option for the third year and beyond. Uh, or option for an option for the third year, and then uh, we don't know what might happen after that. They might continue to keep it there if uh, this arrangement works. But. See, this is what happens. Scott writes this really long paragraph that doesn't need to be said. I edit it properly for him, and then he still repeats all the crap that I took out of it. It's not an option for a third year beyond. They yes, it is. It's an option for a third year and an option for beyond, so it makes no difference. Do you already oh, have it written the way it's supposed to be they, said? They renegotiate after three years. It's still an option yeah. for there it's and beyond. Different. Oh, you made that so incorrect. You're now so, i got to write a correction. You're so wrong. Oh, <laughs> man. It's your proof of Scott. That's what I'm going to call you from now on. Well, finally, this deal happened. We've been hearing about it literally for a decade, that something was going to happen to the Rio. They're always going to sell it, always going to sell it. Finally sold, and they still can't get rid of it. They're sold it, but they're hanging on to it to keep holding the World Series there. Yeah, they just wanted the money for their. I mean, they're so so um, leveraged right now that they need the money that they're willing to <laughs> rent back. <laughs> they sell it's like remember, you have your house, you own it free and clear, but you want to sell it, so you get the money, and then then you tell the people you're going to buy it from, hey, we want to still live there, <laughs> still live there, pay back. you an un, just an incredible amount of money to just continue to use it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, so pretty good deal for the uh, property developer because, you know, that thing's only going to appreciate, I think. So, I mean, it's probably not going to appreciate uh, any more than $45 million per year. So, um, so they're, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it will be. Uh, so, I mean, they'll make all that money back plus some. So, good deal for everybody involved, it sounds like, including players. Um, unless you're a player that actually is hoping the World Series is going to move to Caesars or something like that. But that doesn't look like it. That's not going to happen at least for the next two years or maybe three. Or then, maybe, hey, or maybe uh, beyond. Maybe beyond, not guaranteed beyond. But the, the I mean, it, the rumor had been that it was going to go to the actual Caesar's property. Um, yeah, you know, here's the thing with that rumor, though. We've been hearing that rumor for years as well, too. But I've never seen anybody attached to Caesar's or the World Series poker ever say that rumor themselves or <laughs> confirm yeah, right, it. Yeah, so, right, You know, and then as soon as this news broke, then uh, all the Twitter out there was all over about how the World Series is going to move. Uh, my funniest Facebook post uh, I saw after that was, because, uh, you know, I don't do the Twitter that much unless I have to, uh, <laughs> it's from uh, ARIA director, Poker Sean McCormick, and he's like, um, World Series folks, not going anywhere, relax, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's going to have to go somewhere eventually, though. They're not going to keep renting the hotel from people they bought it from. So, Well, you know, they could make enough money and buy it back. So. That's true. <laughs> Stuff like that's happened, right? Oh, man, that'd be a poor decision. All right, any updates? We have four upcoming Any Up Poker Cruises, and definitely call us as soon as possible if you want to join us for this Halloween on an 8 
night sailing to some of the Eastern Caribbean's best ports. Next year, we'll have a short Easter sailing to Cozumel, a 15-night transatlantic to, uh, from Tampa to Amsterdam, with stops in Bermuda, the Azores, and Ireland, and a seven-night Western Caribbean sailing from Galveston, Texas. For all the details, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. Also, Jackson Rancheria Casino in California will award an Antioch Poker Cruise package for the April 9th sailing, plus $1,000 for expenses to the grand prize winner of a drawing on December 20th. Players can earn drawing tickets in live poker games from September 1st until December 20th. I suppose I should say until December 20th. With numbers being drawn every hour starting at 3 p.m. with a different prize each hour. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.antiupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antiup Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. This comes from Fred. He says, can you please recommend books for advanced strategy for 4-8 or higher limit high Omaha and for high low limit Omaha? So... I'll, I'll let you take this, Chris, because these are your games, not mine. Yeah. Well, the only <laughs> thing I know is that Jeff Wang writes the best pot limit stuff. That That's the stuff that I really know uh, that I've read uh, in the past. Jeff Wang, just he has advanced pot limit and um, a series, actually. Um, but I don't really know very much except for small stake stuff, I think, for limit Omaha. What do you What do you think? Yeah, well, what I recommended him uh, is the, the the Omaha book that I've learned the most from is Winning Omaha 8 by Mark Tenner and Lou Krieger. Yeah. Again, probably more for lower limits, but uh, fundamentals translate all the way up. So um, if you want a good fundamental book for Omaha 8, that is the absolute best one to get. Uh, I've read that cover to cover several times and learned a lot from it. Um, the other one, I know we're not supposed to talk about Full Tilt ever because they screwed everybody, but um, that Full Tilt Poker Strategy Guide was one of the best poker books ever yeah. written. I, yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's not in um, um, still being printed. <laughs> so if you can find an old copy on uh, Amazon or e- eBay or at your local bookstore, uh, pick that one up. Um, it has some really good chapters on Omaha as well as all the other games as well, too. So those are the two ones I'd recommend. Um, we also got a big shipment of a uh, book called A Poker Player's Guide to Mixed Games by Ken Lowe. It's massive. It's like War and Peace size. Um, I actually haven't had a chance to uh, read through all of it yet, so I don't want to necessarily recommend it for omaha but um a poker player's guide to mixed games that is about seven feet thick uh might be a good um might have a lot of information there for you and particularly for the the higher limits which is what what uh, you're looking for fred so those would be my three recommendations yeah that full tilt book was good i mean it was it was tournament poker though so i don't know if that would right. if that's what he wanted if you wanted in tournaments yeah but if he even listed four eight so that was cash i didn't know but, but again, uh, you know, here's the thing with all books. I tell people this is that the uh, one, you know, if you're looking for a book from a pro, you need to be sure you understand that pro style, and that pro style is a style that you're comfortable playing with, right? Yeah. So, um, otherwise, you know, if, you, if if your favorite pro is hyper aggressive and you're super passive at the table, you're not going to learn very much from them because you're not going to be able to use uh, what he or she's telling you unless you're playing that style, right? So, right, right. Uh, um, so. Anyhow, you, but but there might be still um, gems and jewels in that book that are going to help you make a player, and that's the same with these. You know, even if you're you're looking specifically for a higher limit Omaha book, 
Um, reading any book, any good book on Omaha, you're going to uh, extract some good stuff. Um, and you have to be able to, to do that. You have to be able to take that good stuff and remember what doesn't work. So you're right. The Fultilla is a tournament book. Um, and if you're looking to play cash games, you're going to have to take those good stuff from that book you read and figure out how to apply it to cash because it may not apply directly, but it's still good advice. So. Absolutely. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. This comes from David Ligamari. <laughs> it's my job to screw up names. That was easy. Ligamari. Ligamari. Uh, so he says uh, he's playing in a home game tournament. Everyone follows the player one who calls. Player two goes all in, and player one calls for less. Player one tables queen nine suited. Player two tables king nine offsuit. The dealer then begins to shuffle discarded cards into the deck. We all yell, and he stops. We called the host for a ruling, and he said we should shuffle all the cards except the two all-in players and deal out the board. Player two disagreed, as there would be cards put into play that could help player one catch up, including any folded queens or flush cards. Most of the table was befuddled on how to resolve this. Because there was only action by two players, the all-in players begrudgingly agreed to a misdeal. The only chips on the table were the blinds and the all-in players, so everyone held on to their chips, and the hand was redealt. Fortunately, it was easy to unravel. I agreed with the host since there was already action in two all-ins. Though not ideal, the advantages and disadvantages were the same for both players. I was in the minority. How did we do? Elliot says, this should not have been a misdeal. There was significant action due to all nine players having folded or moved all-in. The two players who put money in are not the only ones that count toward action. Uh, this means that the hand must go on. As far as which cards to use and whether to shuffle them is irrelevant. Only using the remainder of the stub is acceptable, but not necessary. Uh, all the cards and the discards and stub were unknown to the two players involved in the hand, and shuffling them in has no effect at all on the two live hands. Since the value of the cards were not known by players A and B, those players are to be assumed to be live and in the deck with a chance to play. If this were not the case, the calculating of various forms of pot odds and equities would have been rendered useless. It is wrong and against all logic to assume that only folded cards are the, all, are the ones that can help an opponent outdraw one's holdings. Right. It's, it's, this gets back to the old TJ story that we've been talking about for a decade on yeah. here. You know, the guy was at pocket tens, the other guy had kings or something like that, and all the tens were folded, so there's no chance he could have won except for some remarkable straight or something. But uh, and then the cards got put shuffled in by accident, and they had to do it. And then the guy got the ten, and that, so only because they knew the tens were folded did it seem like it was wrong. But he's absolutely right. I mean, all those cards could have helped both people. It doesn't make a difference who it helps or it doesn't help. You know, those cards are unknown and and folded back in. So I and the other thing that shocked me was the the guy who runs the game or the owner of the game or whatever you want to call it says what to do, and then you do what you want anyway. <laughs> not, not not David, but, you know, the people. Yeah. It's like, hey, you call the guy, he says to do it, and then you don't do it? <laughs> Why'd you call him then? <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I understand in, in home games why people, like, they call missed deals, and I hear this all the time. People say, oh, well, it's just a missed deal. It's, it's the cards back in. Um, you know, because we all grew up, at least folks our age, all grew up with <laughs> uh, do-overs on the, in the street when you're playing kickball, right? When you can't figure out something, it's just, ah, let's just do it over. Um, and if you're in a home game and everybody agrees, just do it over. I mean, I don't think there's a terrible harm in that. I mean, it's a home game. You're trying to keep it friendly. 
Um, and if that's what you think is, is fair, great. But that's the first thing when I read this on our Antioch fans page, I was like, you can't call that a misdeal. There's <laughs> all kinds of action. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's me coming from the, uh, you know, the poker TDA, um, 47 TDA, seven, seven, com two, knowing that what significant action is. So, um, so if you're at home and, uh, a misdeal is what makes everybody happy, fine. Uh, but really, you know, if you're trying to make good decisions, Always resist the the misdeal um, remedy. Um, it seems easy on the on the on the um, surface, uh, but it's really really a bad decision to make. Um, these all things can be resolved properly, and and this was perfect. I mean, again, it goes back to card destiny, right? Yeah. And um, I had explained that whole thing on that podcast I was on last week. Um, that uh, you don't know what those cards are. I mean, the the, the one player was making the assumption that. Everybody that folded was folding queens um, and flush cards, um, which I don't know why you would assume that. I'm like, I would assume, you know, queens are a pretty good card. I was more likely, I think you'd be less likely to fold those than sevens and trays, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I actually disagree with this logic on multiple levels, but uh, but you don't know what those cards are. They're all random, and then you're going to put out the rest of the board and, and go with it. Um, you know, if the cards were all known, and that's a different story, but they weren't known. So you're just, it's, it's the, um, random number generator on online, which is really what we're getting to. Right. Yeah. When we talk about random, you know, you're not, uh, not getting the, the 50 necessarily 52 cards. You started the deck. Now these cards are being reintroduced. Um, but the number keeps shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. So it can, it's continually random. So I know that, uh, um, doesn't sit well with wizards out there, but <laughs> it, uh, it it actually makes a lot of sense. So I I, I find one one part of David's thing uh, unbelievable. It says the all-in players begrudgingly agreed to a misdeal, and I think the queen nine was happy to get a misdeal there when he's dominated by a king nine. Oh yeah, absolutely right. Right. So I think he's happy that it was uh, yeah, a I, misdeal. Yeah, I can imagine that was some acting going on. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you serious? We got to do this all over yeah, again. Come oh, on, that's so man. wrong. But whatever. I, just for the interest of the game, that's fine. All uh, right, do it. <laughs> I'll fall on this sword for you guys. Let's start over. You know, they told us that uh, I love bringing up all these let's make a deal stories. But they they told us during that that if you 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 know you give up the uh, or, or if you hold on to the three hundred dollars and then they they show you but you know, behind curtain two was actually a nine thousand dollar hot tub but you actually had no interest in the hot tub <laughs> and you got to sell that thing uh, that you needed to uh, needed to fake being disappointed that you didn't win it so <laughs> the interest of the TV audience so yeah you literally get that hot tub delivered to your house and you put it on Craigslist the next morning. <laughs> exactly. So that's, I think it's the same thing with the queen guy. He was like, "Oh, oh man, oh man, all right, fine." Inside, <laughs> he was doing his happy dance. Right. We're gonna complete O'Malley's move today. Here comes part one, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing your garden variety $1, $2, no limit hold'em cash game at our regular casino. I don't know too many of the other players in this particular game, and the ones involved in the hand are virtual unknowns to me. We bought in for 300 instead of our normal 200 and sit with 317. We've been playing for about a half hour. The blinds post, the end of the gun raises the table standard to $10. This player from the short time we have played here is tight. 
He's taken down one pot since we've been here when his queens flopped a set against ace-king on an ace-high board. He has 250, he's been here longer than us, and we've gathered he bought in for 100. We get a caller from the MP, and we are on the button, again with 317, and the king of diamonds, queen of diamonds. This is too strong a hand to fold, even to an under-the-gun razor, but I really don't want to just see what happens on the flop. I want to take control with a 3-bet. If we get 4-bet, we can let this go. We make it $35. The under-the-gun calls, but the MP folds. There's $78 in the pot after the rake, and the flop is the ace of hearts, queen of spades, queen of clubs. The under-the-gun almost immediately checks to us. We make it $40 to go. Yes, this is just over half pot, but there's not a lot of danger with this flop, and I'm going to value town right now. The under-the-gun thinks for a bit before calling. Hmm. There's 158 in the pot, and the turn is the tray of clubs. The under-the-gun checks again. Backdoor clubs are coming in, but I'm not at all that worried about them. However, the pot size has gotten out of hand. I like a check here to keep the pot where it's at, so we can shove a safe card on the river. The pot stands at 158, and the river is the tray of diamonds. The under-the-gun leads out for $75, leaving him 100 behind. So, we have a full house. Is there anything to think about here? What's the move? All right, uh, really kind of feels like we're up against another queen, uh, and hopefully not ace-queen, um, or pocket aces. O'Malley described this player as tight, and tight players usually don't bluff rivers. There's nothing else on this board, or how he play the hand to suggest he has one or two trays. It might be giving up value, but I'm just calling here. Yeah, you know, it, it, it feels like a split pot, or one of those morons who, you know, they think you're both playing the board, so I'm going to try to steal it and make a bet on the end and make you not even yeah. realize that the board was... Um, that happens a lot with straights and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, the other thing I was thinking about is it could be that the person has a pair bigger than threes, mm-hmm. you know, okay. and he might think that you were playing the board, but I have a pair bigger than threes, so we're gonna, you're going to have queens and threes or an ace, and I'm going to have queens and sevens or something. So I was thinking that maybe that could be a thing, but I just don't know. You're right. It feels like it could be a queen like us, and we're just chopping anyway. Um and if it's ace queen, I'll be glad to just call. So let's just call. I, it's weird. I feel like in the moment I would probably shove. And in this case, I don't know. Maybe because it's O'Malley. Maybe because it's on our show. And it's you know, it seems like it's almost an automatic. Hey, we got the top boat here. Let's just let it go and and shove. Except for the pocket aces and the ace queen. Um, I mean that person did raise under the gun. So that's the thing. Uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, the other thing too is. I didn't talk about this yet, but, you know, somebody under the gun raises, and then we re-raise on the button with king-queen. That's very interesting yeah. to me. I, I mean, he got yeah. the, the – you know I mean, I would never re-raise with king-queen with under-the-gun raiser and a caller in the middle, you know. I mean, I'm, I might call, but I certainly wouldn't raise with those cards. Those, those are trap hands. Those are hands that you're up against ace-king or ace-queen all the time in that situation you know that's just something i never would have done but anyway let's just call I, i'm nervous now so we'll just call here comes part two hello again did you snap shove i did are you happy about it i'm not our opponent can't get his chips into the middle fast enough and then he happily tables the ace of spades queen of hearts flopped the near mortal nuts and walked me like a dog the whole way looks like we're rebuying until next time I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, was this a situation that was unavoidable? 
or did I make a big mistake here? I hope to see you on the felt. Well, it turns out I didn't give up any value by just calling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he wasn't tight, I might have I might have even reconsidered what we were talking about earlier and shoved. But you know, the fact that he was tight, I I just thought it was a split pot and. Maybe he had some sort of queen jack, or I don't know. But yeah, the fact that I mean, he was the one that uh, he was the one that raised from under the gun. So it just, and then when he checked, you know, and then calls, it's like okay, well, he's not drawing. You know, that flop was ace queen queen. If he had an ace, you know, it's it now it makes sense to you. you know the guy flopped the world and was letting you take a you know letting you continue to take the the lead. So very interesting. Uh, oof. Brutal, but and O'Malley yeah. doesn't lose like that very often. You know, he he's been making some interesting moves lately that have been controversial for us to talk about. Yeah, and they work out. But so I wonder if uh, this was a situation where he realized all this about the player after the hand, and then when he was writing it. Yeah, and, and you know what what he does is really difficult um, to give us one of these things every two weeks. So that's not being me being critical, but right, right. But I think if you if you go back and listen to what he how he set this up. That's where it made it easy for me just to call. I'm like, he's like, this guy's tight. He's under the gun, like you mentioned. Um, at that point, I'm like, there are a lot of uh, stranger dangers <laughs> in this call so or this decision. So um, the fact that he just he shoved, I was like, when, when I listened, I'm like, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> I'm like, am I listening to the wrong part two here? <laughs> Um, but it, it, I'm going to guess it was probably in the moment he, he didn't put all stuff together, but in the interest of making it good for the show and thinking it out and describing everybody, um, he painted the, the more correct picture that made his play look a little weirder at the time. So, yeah, yeah. good point. Good point. All right. Simon Devance, PokerTraining.com, Hand of the Week. Send your hands for Situations Podcast at Annie at Magazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Jay Grimes back in the house. And, uh, oh, hold on. I didn't uh, get the hand of the week up. <laughs> <laughs> so is it a hand of the week or is it a situation? Do I need to be writing this uh, stuff up? I believe it's a situation. So uh, here we go. Okay. Uh, um, and I uh, just want to be sure that I got the right <laughs> one here. Um, um, uh, so I'll talk to the we, – we know what happened on Survivor this week, uh, but we're going to talk about it next week because Scott hadn't had a chance to watch the show yet. So uh, we will be talking about Survivor next week. How's that? Fill in a dead space now. Right, right. Right. I like that. That's what they do during, the, uh, during Let's Make a Deal. I don't know if you heard, but I was, I was in the audience yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that, that's terrific. Uh, all right. So, um, all right. He says uh, they're playing 2-5, um, uh, no limit, uh, starting in hand with around 2,000. And uh, we are under the gun with pocket jacks. Oof. Don't know how to play them. Fold them. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you got to you raise, I guess. The poker players would fold pocket jacks every time they would be richer. Yeah, probably. That's um, not good advice to folks, but that's just honest advice. I, I mean, you know, I don't know. It, you said the situation, but it's it, treating it sort of like a hand here, so I'm not sure if I should be writing this stuff down, but I I would probably make the, the, the standard raise at the table, whatever it is. 2-5 game, it's probably 25 or so, 20-25, so... Whatever the raise is, that's what I would do. You got You still have to treat this as a, what do they call it, a type one hand or a class one hand or one A, whatever they, group one, group one. So, I mean, it's a decent hand, so we're going we're gonna to treat it like a decent hand. Like Aces, kings, queens, or something like that. So you can represent a lot of hands. So. Yeah. All right, that's where here we are. He opens for 20. 
player in middle position calls, the cutoff raises to 60, big blind calls, and back to us. Yeah, you got to call. I mean, I'm not folding jacks, especially since it looks like you might have four people in this hand. You know, you're going to have $240 in the middle to try to flop a set and win huge. So I, I can't let it – I'm not going to call – I'm not going to re-raise or anything because I feel like – Well, here's the interesting thing about this, I think, right? Because we just mentioned the the reason we raised out of the gun is that we can represent all these bigger hands, right? Right. So now if we just call, now we really technically can't. I mean, I guess you could be tricky with aces or kings here and just call, but I don't think you'd want to be. So so here's the dilemma I think you're in. I mean, now you have to decide, all right, uh, I tried. I raised. Um, somebody else raised behind me. So now do I wave half of the white flag and turn this into a set mining possibility? Um, or do I double down on the story I've told and re-raise now and thin the field and let people know, hey, I've got a really good hand? at the risk of the cutoff actually having a better hand than you and, and four bending. So I think that's the dilemma you're in now. But if you, I think if you just call here, you've given up that uh, ability to represent a uh, bigger hand. So you've got to hold for that, Jack. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, one, did you tell me how much you started with? I can't remember. Yeah. 2000. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know if I want to, if it's, if it's already made to 60, and you're going to re-raise. Generally, when you have this many people in the hand, because you might have four people in this hand when you're done if you just call. If you're going to re-raise, you would make it roughly now 180 plus another caller is 60. So you're looking at 240. Do I really want to put 240 in the middle to only to watch this guy make it a shove? And then i got to fold my jacks. And then am I going to fold? I mean, it's just a waste of money. I'd rather just call and set mine for another 20 bucks or 40 bucks, whatever it is and set mine or see how this guy likes to play his hand when he's got multiple people who knows i i just don't i'm not going to risk 240 and not see a flop you know well that's that's a very fair way of going about it and me being a tighter player that's probably exactly what i would do um but i guess what i would say though is if you raised here the only way you're going to get re-raised again i think are those top three hands aces kings and queens and probably not even queens probably aces and kings so if you do raise here and that opponent doesn't re-raise you, now I think you've got some real good information that, that your hand is pretty good, barring one of those overcards, because at that point he probably has one of those, probably more of it, like an ace-king hand, right? Mm. Um, and if he does shove, then then at least you're getting out for 240 now or versus your whole stack, like happened to me in the deep stack tournament. <laughs> so... Um, I don't think I don't think that that next raise is as dangerous as possible. It's still just about if we if you do raise it to 240 as you mentioned, it's still right around 10% of our stack, which is what we would call for a um, set mining anyhow. So um, I'm not too worried about that that next raise um, and having to lay it down if I do. I mean, it, it's going to suck to throw away 240 bucks here, but um, it, it's going to it suck less to throw away 240 bucks than it is 2,000. So. Yeah, I mean, if I'm gonna, if you equated it to 10% could be a set mine, then why not just set mine for 40 more bucks instead of 240? Well, that's more. if you decide you want a set mine. We already talked about that. that yeah. That's a legitimate, fair way of playing this hand, but you, you do give up the ability to represent those bigger hands if that's the case. So if you if you want to play it a little safer uh, and hope that some of these other players come along and build a nut pot and then hope you spike your jack and, and get everybody stacked, that's great. That's fine. Uh, but I'm just making a point that the um, uh, rate. Raising is also a very legitimate um, approach here, depending on your frame of mind and, and how you're going to play. So, if you're an aggressive player, 
I, I would definitely would not call here. I would re-raise here and, and really represent one of those big hands and find out exactly what our um, our most aggressive opponent has. Yeah, the other thing, too, is it, it gets back to reads. If this person who did this in the cutoff is the type of guy who just typically says, well, I'm going to re-raise in the cutoff to see this guy's serious under the gun, and the other guy is the type of guy that just likes to call because he, th- he thinks he's going to see pot odds and try to win a huge pot with suited connectors or something, then it's like, okay, then I might take the chance of popping it. The other thing is that you have to think about, it, it, again, with the reads or at least understanding what types of players you're playing against, if they're the type of person who picks up the theory of poker by David Sklansky and says, well, I can only have a hand that is as good, if not better, than a hand that would raise under the gun, this guy's going to have something better than Jack-Jack, and we're going to throw away $240. If it looks like this is the type of guy that just loves to just splash around and take control of a hand because he's in the cutoff and then outplay you, then, yeah, you might think, all right, I don't, I'm not a better player than this guy, so I need to win the pot now. Let me make it 240 and then see what happens. But you're in a 2-5 game. Most of the time, 2-5 players are beyond ABC, and it really gets back to reads. To me, I think I would just call. Um, not because I'm conservative, but it just feels like it's the right play. You're going to have a bunch of guys in the hand, so you're going to get better odds on your set mine. And, you know, you already got one caller in between. So now, you know, if, if you get out of line, those guys could be smooth playing something. So it's I, – I just like a call here. I, I don't like getting out of line. But we'll see what happens. Go ahead. Hit me with it. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, we decide to call, and so does the middle position player. So you're right. We're in the whole set mining thing here. Yeah. Pass around 240. <clears throat> Four of us see a flop of king of diamonds, jack of diamonds, four of spades. Nice. Um, let's see. Well, he just kind of skipped all around. So here's the here's the situation part. So I'll just read what he has left. Okay. And we'll talk about. He says, I love sets. Who doesn't? But I'm also not liking the connected, uh, how connected the flop is. Uh, so I lead out for 160. Uh, he says, I'm thinking I could deny equity against flush draws or straight draws. Maybe not the combo draws. In the moment, I wasn't sure about the math there. A middle position player decides he likes his hand and goes all in. As I'm waiting for the cutoff to fold, I get a little surprised when he asks for a count. It's around 650. And after a minute or two thinking, he decides to go all in as well for 1841. Uh, so back to us. Uh, so are we liking our middle set now, Chris? Uh, I'm not folding middle set. I mean, you, you get into these games knowing that it's it, just because it's two, two, he's got two grand in front of him. You're not playing this game unless you can afford two grand. If if you're playing this game and it's too big for you and you're not using the chips as tools, then you shouldn't be playing the game. So I'm not thinking of it like that. If this was on high stakes poker, there's not a chance that Elio Lezra is folding middle set. There's not a chance Dan DeGrana is folding middle set. He's just not. So, I mean, I'm not folding middle set here. I If I lose my two grand or 1800 or whatever it is, then so be it. But I've hit my set. That's why I played the hand. Yeah, could the guy have king-king there? Yeah, he could. Does he have ace-king? Maybe. Does he have aces? Maybe. But there's just no chance I'm folding middle set to top set. There's just no way. I'm going to say, hey, the odds are very rare that this happens to me, and I'm just going to take it and move on i mean if we were playing you know 50 cent a dollar at you know a local card room and we had middle set and it was for the whole stack that you had in front of you which would have been a hundred you're not going to fold the first you're just not so just because the money the money shouldn't make a difference it, it you're supposed to use them as tools so to me there's no way i'm folding that set there's just no way it'd be t- it'd be different if it was reversed 
and the under the gun guy was as tight as a clam. And the only way this guy would part with any money is if he had the nuts. Then I'd be willing to fold my set, maybe. But this is a cutoff guy in a 2-5 game. And he may have re-raised us. He may have pocket kings, and we may be behind. But I can't let this go. So that's my, my two cents. All right. Well, I can't let it go either. But I will go back to what I said pre-flop, that had we re-raised there and then got re-raised again, we probably would have folded, right? Because we would have had to put them on aces, kings, or queens, and we only would have lost our 240, which you were worried about losing. Mm-hmm. Now you're willing to commit your entire 1841 on the set, with the understanding that we could be up against pocket queen, uh, kings. So uh, if we are up against pocket kings, I'm just going to say, hold yourself. Just remember, if he had pocket kings, he wouldn't necessarily have re-raised us again, knowing the under-the-gun player has now made it four bets or whatever, three bets. True. So True. the king's probably just smooth call there. Or but at that point, anyway. we're back in the same spot. We're still going to get our money in anyhow, so it doesn't change anything at that point. In right. that scenario, it doesn't change anything, right? Right. The only scenario where it changes is if he does... Uh, repop us at that point, then, then we have to fold. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and, and I don't. And it, the only hand we're afraid of now are kings, and that hand probably would not have repopped us again. But who knows? He might have. He might have. Some of these guys don't put you on aces. So, uh, all right. Well, I'm I'm not folding. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, so he says. Uh, so am I liking my middle set? Nope, not really. And I know you're you're not supposed to put anyone on specific hand, especially something specific as king king. But I'm convinced the middle position player has king king. After he raised my initial uh, preflop, right? Or at least that's what I thought at the time. Somehow in my mind, I got the middle position played on the cutoff confused as to which one initially re-raised me preflop. I like to blame alcohol or tiredness, but none of those were at play here. I took maybe 30 seconds to consider an overly ambitious pocket ace hand and combo hand, a combo draw hand or king jack hand. I guess there's even a chance the middle position player has a semi-bluff draw or the cutoff has top two, but I really feel like the middle position player had king-king especially after the cutoff seemed to really weigh his decision. Eventually, I decided on a call, thinking if I lose the main pot, the side pot is still a net positive win. The only problem is, obviously, I got the middle position player on the cutoff confused. That's the bad news. The good worst news is I obviously uh, I had correctly assessed that whoever it was re-raised me pre-flop was sitting on pocket kings. Board's, board runs out clean for a set of kings, and the cutoff rakes in somewhere around a $5,000 pot, yeah. leaving me a squiggly 120. The middle position player actually had a draw. I'm not sure if he had both straight and flush cards since he mucked face down, but I'm pretty sure his hand didn't come in. Some of my friends say it's a fold. Not exactly an easy fold, but definitely a fold due to the connectivity of the flop. Others say that if you add in the ranges, combo draws, overplayed ace-ace, and even the occasional initial bluff, then it's never a terrible idea to call with middle set, especially when the only hand you're dominated against is specifically king-king, in which there are only three uh, combos possible. I see the merit in both arguments, and I'm convinced I'm not being results-oriented to say that I think I sh- this should have been an easy fold. I folded sets before, not often, but I have, and if I got an initial MP versus cutoff preflop action correct, or if I took another minute to think about things, I think I'd find the fold there. Maybe not every time, but most of the time. No, I agree with his friends. I, I, I think that it's it's too difficult to fold with the possibilities that are out there. Easily ace-ace could have been out there. Draw was out there. And again, the king king hand, you know, it's not, it's not, it's a very specific hand that you have to. So you really, you're saying I'm only going to fold to one hand, and now you, you, you're putting him on that hand. If you replay that hand, ace is played exactly the same way. So there's two hands now. Then right. king jack 
which I don't know if King Jack would have re-raised, but if he's a loose player, he might have just been like, hey, I don't think this guy's serious. Let me squeeze somebody. Then he hits King Jack. You know what I mean? You don't know. So there are hands that are plausible that were played the way this guy played them, whoever it was, whether it was the middle position or the other guy. It doesn't matter. So to me, yeah, there's no way two hands are beating you. So there's another hand clearly that you could put in the mix. You know what I mean? It's hard to imagine ace-ace being in the middle there and not with all those people and still having yet to act because it would have gone, we raise, the middle calls, the cutoff makes it something else, someone else called. I mean, somewhere in there, someone's still yet to act. One of them would have repopped it again with a hand that beats us, pre-flop or whatever. So to me, there's more than one hand to put them on that makes me call. There's way more than one hand that could be doing these moves and making these plays or bets. And so I, I, I can't full middle set there. Like I said, the only way I full middle set is if I absolutely 100% know that this person would only make this bet with top set. And it's so hard to get that specific with any player, much less when you're just in a casino playing with a guy for an hour or two. You know, it'd be one thing if it was the home game and you're playing with someone for 10 years and you know. But in a, home, in a casino, when you've been there for an hour or two or whatever, and you, there's just no way. You can't fold middle set there. I can't fold. It's, not, it's definitely not an easy fold. And I wouldn't say it's an easy call, but there's no way I fold middle set. No, I, I don't think I can get away from that either. But it is interesting, his discussion about who, and not confusing him, does give you that um, that pause. Yeah. And then I'll go back to what I said again. <laughs> re-raised the preflop representing that bigger hand and then got re-raised again. Then we, we would not have been in that situation. So two, two very different ways of playing this hand that are both plausible. Um, the one we took... Um, we thought it was good because we, we hit our set, um, but it turns out had we played it the other way, we probably would have got away from this hand for $240 rather than our entire stack. So um, um, that's what makes this game interesting and in how you look at these. Yeah, brutal, brutal beat. Um, but, hey, you made the show. That's always good. That's got to be <laughs> worth That's gotta be worth 1800 right? <laughs> yeah. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.